Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. What's going on? Uh oh. <laughs> we, we just talked for 10 minutes and I didn't hit record. Not 10 minutes, Raphael. 19 minutes. So we're going to. Oh, we can do a better version this time. That's ne it's never happened before. No. Um, that, uh, that we've recorded an episode. Usually it's me that would make a mistake. <laughs> no, I don't think we we ever lost any recordings no, I, so far. I, I think in our early days, though, I made some mistakes with my audio, like uh, quality. -wise. I think both of us we had. Uh, maybe this is like a little uh, inside info for people who want to start a podcast. But one of the biggest mistakes you can make is that uh, the audio on your headphones is too loud, and that it bleeds into the microphone. So then you have to clean up all the bits between your voice because you hear a little bit of the other person's voice. So that's. Uh, that's one of the mistakes we made in the beginning. So we invest a lot in uh, our headphone technology and volume levels <clears throat> and microphone yeah. sensitivity. Anyway, um, we've generally got the system down pat. Now, now, now we we're in the awkward position where we can either recount the memory of a great conversation or we can just pretend like it never happened. Yeah, I, I think we we briefly talked about the Seinfeld special because it was new and it was on Netflix, and we came to the conclusion that. He's funnier in the sitcom than as a stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. Would you say that? Yeah, we, that's what we concluded. <laughs> we also yeah. concluded that he's sort of like, he's trapped in a 1990s um, kind of uh, uh, sitcom, like in terms of his the narrative of his, life, of his life and the content of his comedy. And then that was like a good segue into... Well, I, yeah, maybe what I would like to say, that he just has this conviction that life should be more silly. So no matter what comes and goes, uh, you know, whatever political topics and important topics, important in, in uh, accents, he just thinks that uh, a choice of cereal or whether your socks fit well and <laughs> things like that is, is really what life is about and not hardship and uh, struggle and strife. Yes. And so he's still, yeah, like exactly like he would prefer Lucky Charms to fine dining and he'd like to tell jokes about how his wife is annoying. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you think about it, that is those are two topics that uh, even though we live in a crisis, those topics are very relevant right now. Like this is a big test on relationships. You know what? But I think the two of us um, and it's a good segue again into today, today's review. But um, I feel like Kristen and I have had very few, if any, um, major conflicts. Yesterday, it w it w we had a conflict about whether we should order two pepperoni pizzas or one. <laughs> one with... Mm. I'm going to guess you You were on the side of one. How did you, how did you guess that? <laughs> Yeah, that's what happened. But one had yeah. spicy, and I was like, why did you suggest the other one? Like, I need to know. And she's like, I just thought of it. I don't know. There's no rationale. Anyways, a, a very silly argument that lasted about um, 10 seconds, but we were both hungry. So that was the, you know, hangry. The, the hangry moment. But we haven't yeah. had any, that sounds probably pretty civil. We've been making pizza. It's nice. Have you? Yeah, uh, I don't think my sister listens to this podcast, but here's the thing. She bought me like a pizza stone uh, like three years ago. And I swear to God, this pizza stone is the bane of my existence because that whole idea of making pizza from scratch to me seems like you, we've got our priorities all wrong here. Like pizza mm. is a fast food. It is not one that I want to labor over myself. There is no like the economic. Have of, you have you ever made it yourself? No, and I never will. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> tell me. Well, tell me about it. What's so great about it? No, but it's the thing that you the, you have to try it at home. It, 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 you've had apple pie at home, right? Um, 
Have I had You know how even if no. you're not that good at baking, yeah. if you bake something at home, the the house fills with the smell and you eat it right at that moment. It so you can get something from a master baker, but if you make it at home, it's still it's like, something different. It's like fresh sushi or something. Like it, there's like a it, it's like as close as you can get to the killing the animal with your bare hands. Maybe <laughs> I don't I, or it's the psychology or the placebo, but uh, Okay. Yeah. We we made um chocolate chip cookies out of, a, out of my hand as in mm-hmm. we like out of a package that we put in the oven and i found it disappointing because yeah i have to say we made cookies as well they were not as good as the but but the pizza is better than from the because yeah. i have heard that um there's a lot more baking going on during covid and it just yeah. doesn't add up for me but um clearly mm. i'm on the i'm on the periphery the other thing is i'm not a precise cook so this idea of a measuring cup is really offensive to me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, okay, well, you know, this sounds like a job now. <laughs> like I've got to do yeah, accounting yeah, yeah. with my uh, cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless. Um, so yeah. Um, so Seinfeld, uh, I think, yeah, it was kind of a greatest hits special and it's okay, but it's, uh, if you compare Seinfeld's career after the Seinfeld sitcom and Larry David's career, then I think Larry David is funnier. Yeah, and I think like just walking back, like all of the comedy specials that have been uh, newsworthy in the last few years have been people either walking back huge amounts of controversy or creating controversy from you know uh, like treating comedy like a political act, which I know you have mixed views on. But like ultimately, Seinfeld seems to you know just be like whatever. I'm just Seinfeld, you know. Like I, I, it reminded me of this um, Steve Martin quote that like at a certain point in his career he realized he wasn't there to perform new work. He was just there to, you know, actually stand in front of an audience that wanted to perform the work for him. Um, and so I think that's yeah, very that's much... Yeah, similar to musicians. Like, yeah. If, you, if you're going to see the Rolling Stones, then you want to hear their old songs. Yeah, and you want to sing out loud, right? So, yeah. you know, there's a little nostalgia in it. But, you know, if you take yourself out of it for even a moment, you're like, hmm, this seems like, like not really what you would write today. Um and yeah, so the segue in, into, I think, this week's film is that we chose a period film for the first time. We did not choose this. Well, I did. Well, Kristen... <laughs> no, you did not. Kristen chose it. <laughs> Kristen, my partner, yeah, she's been like listening in for, I don't know, going on half a decade now to our podcast. No, because I, it, part of the, the thing is that I choose very obnoxious movies and then Kristen is like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, because our partners, or at least in my case, Kristen wants to watch the movies that we that we're that we're reviewing or have a, a we want to have a conversation after the podcast about it as probably many of our listeners do but then she's like why did Raphael choose this like horrible misogynist James <laughs> and Mandy yeah. and yeah yeah so she hasn't been able to enjoy the film then i asked her well if we were to review a film what would you choose and she's like well you know and, and this is the best movie i've seen this year and she had watched it in secret which also was like hmm why would you do that but anyway it was portrait of a lady on fire and it's a period film and she watches watches a lot of period films and i have given them bad reviews in the past um in our relationship i've said I, yeah i remember um, this this movie came out at a time that i was going to the movies a lot and i saw the trailer and i was already like ugh but it might have come out in new york sooner than it, its wider release cuz i think its wider release was around uh, February uh, this year. Oh, okay. And the film festival release was last year because it premiered yeah. at Toronto. But sometimes th- with with indie movies, they show the trailer two years ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and I don't know if you've seen Cecile uh, Siama's, that's the director, her other films like Girlhood and stuff like that. Um, 
And there's one, uh, I think, called Water Lilies that she made. Have you seen those films? No, not yet. I've wanted to see Girlhood. Uh, Is I Girlhood seeing... the one about dancing? I think it's a, it's about um, black women Teenagers. in France yeah, and dancing. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I saw that trailer too. Yeah, It looks that good. That one looked more interesting. Yeah. Um, and so she's not known for like necessarily making period films. I don't know if any director is in particular. You were mentioning earlier that um, Stanley Kubrick, Stanley, yeah, that Kubrick made one period uh, film himself. Um, it's a unique genre. Anyway, it's it's worth which we'll review next week. Yeah, we're we're thinking about reviewing that next week. So this week, though, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, <clears throat> really interesting. I think um, in a number of angles, you think it's it's not interesting. Your spoiler is well. That- I- I just think the tone of it, I think the topic is interesting, a lot of things, but it, it has this seriousness of teenagers. When when you're a teenager and you think that you know everything and you're very serious. And it, it reminded me of the, the Twilight movies. I thought you Have said you it reminded those? you of Titanic. <laughs> yeah, but both are like movies for teenage girls. And it, uh, that's just not the, the state of mind I'm in. And mm. it, you know that thing when you're kind of like, angry and moody and dad is stupid school is stupid you don't understand sure i know better that's how this movie felt to me (laughs) that's how i feel today um (laughs) no i think like well i I, yeah of course it's about um you know so let's just get the the plot kind of out of the way um so it's about um a woman it's really the there's no there's no single protagonist and that is interesting but it's about two protagonists actually and it's a love story it's about a woman named eloise and and she's a young woman um who's an uh part of an sort of aristocratic family she's living on an island in Brittany. yeah it's not too specific they don't go into details yeah, but the, yeah. a wealthy the, family the movie, yeah, yeah the movie starts with an opening shot of a, a woman on a little boat going to this island the rowing she falls into the water and she has a case with two blank canvases that she has to save from the from the waves. Yeah. So she swims. And she struggles to get to the destination yeah. a little bit. Yeah, she's, she swims ashore this island. And um, the premise for her arrival, and this woman's name is Marianne, is to paint the portrait of Eloise. However, her mother explains, you know, previous portrait painter wasn't able to successfully uh, paint her portrait and was rejected and... Um, and so she is going to have to paint her portrait in secret. Now, why is she yeah, painting? Because, uh, yeah, because Eloise uh, is to be married to someone, and this painting is there to as sort of marketing for her to uh, persuade her potential husband. Yeah, and so, of course, Eloise is like super uncomfortable with this idea of being sold on the market. And, and, and this is in, in Spain, in Milan, um, that she's going to be married to in some... Italy. Oh, sorry. Did I say Spain? Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. She's going to. So she, this Milanese, um, this suitor is going to well, it, it, make I, a I decision on the marriage. With the rich families, it, it's just marriage is how you gain wealth. So it's. Uh, yeah. Uh, it has nothing to do with romance. And yeah. And the idea here is that. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the time, especially though. Right. But but Eloise, of course, is like really rejects this idea of not knowing who this person is, you know, she's to your point about being a teenager, she's trying to understand what is love and certainly love shouldn't be a transaction. And why, why do I have to go through this? I don't want to be an object. Yeah. It's, someone it's else's not consumption. a good pr- proposition. No. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, you know, I think, so the movie progresses from there at some point, the mother leaves the Island and well, the- it, it, just, just a little dial back. But, uh, so the mother sits down with the painter, Marianne, and she said, listen up, you're to paint her portrait, but she doesn't want to be portrayed. So just hang out with her 
observe her, make studies, and make the painting in secret. Yeah, and the thing is, she's, the premise is she's to go on walks with her. And the, the, the subplot is that the mother fears that uh, Eloise is suicidal, and so she's to be her company on these walks. And her sister threw herself her off. Her younger of, sister yeah, threw herself walked off, off the cliff. Yeah, 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 threw herself off a cliff. Um, and so that's kind of the backstory. Um, and you're actually, the whole plot is, um, you're seeing, and this is really important, actually, is you're, it's being recounted from memory um, in front of a class, you know, kind of from a, a, a classroom uh, in the future where Marianne is, a, is, a, is an art teacher um, to, uh, yeah, a class of female um, art students. Yeah, it, it, it's also, the movie starts that she's on this rowing boat and there's maybe three men helping her to get to the island. Yeah. And after that, for the longest time, there's not one guy in the frame. It's all women, the the people working in the castle and anyone they run into, the whole cast is female. Yeah. And so I, it's a pretty th- uh, thrilling movie from that angle. So like when you were saying this is not for me, I was but, like... But what's, so what's interesting to me is that you see movies from this angle mm-hmm. and I just, I'm like, I'm more looking at it like... There's no way people can be this serious because the, the whole setup is like for the first 60% of the movie, nobody even, there's like even the slightest smile. <laughs> and part of it is that like her, her the, it's part of the building, the tension in the movie. And at some point she starts laughing and opens up a little bit. Yeah, it's but, wonderful. <laughs> but to me, the idea of making a movie that's that serious is just yeah hard to swallow i think like it, it just seems so, and and the way they do dialogue seems like theater students where you're just reading lines i mean at the outset it's probably worth noting this film was not made for for people like you or i um it's a it's a movie by women for women um and for queer women especially yeah, yeah but 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 do women not laugh and, and be spontaneous and interrupt each other and well, I think it's trying to capture. It's a. I think it's actually like you compared it to Titanic, but I think it's much more complex than Titanic, and it's really about how we see one another and remember one another, and what 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 love is. Is it is it the object of desire or is it the subject of desire that we want to talk about, um, or that, that but, we feel? But but to me, the the tone of the movie is that it's so serious, and every sentence is so perfect. Like yeah, she see. She paints her portrait secretly, Marianne, and Eloise comes into the room and just has the best response. Like she has all these sentences that even the most cultured <laughs> art critic could not have come up with. And then it's hard for me to relate to people when they just when the script is too perfect. When you just feel like a philosopher has thought about this sentence for three weeks. That's not how you. Sure. You know, like movies don't have to be real, but there has to be this sort of. There's very little dialogue in the film. A lot is said yeah, just with but, looks and glances. But but right? it, it it it's difficult for me when someone comes up and says, "Oh, here's your portrait," and then mm-hmm. they just come back with the best one-liner of all time. Yeah, but I think that you're missing like that. This movie is told from memory, and so you know, memory has condensed the dialogue. That, that's the way I read it, anyway. Um, so that like she's just remembering these poignant things that she said, like the same way I remember quotes from my, you know, best teachers or mentors. And like ah, oh, they said this thing. They said a lot of garbage too, right? But the things I remember, even so, you in, in the first scenes you get this that that vibe because it's it, the first scenes make no sense, right? In the first scenes, she's introduced, uh, Marianne's introduced to Eloise, and Eloise doesn't even greet her. She only sees the back of her head. Um, and she, you know, she's, she trails her the whole way. And I doubt, you know, whether that would have 
you know, this is not a true story, but whether that would have actually taken place. But in someone's memory, if you meet no, someone I do rude, think that that part seemed realistic to me. Like if you're that aristocratic and you're also in a moment of emotional despair mm-hmm. and you think, oh, this is uh, an such employee yeah. is beneath me. I'm not going to acknowledge them. Yeah. I, I don't think that's so extreme. Yeah, but then you would have also exaggerated that in memory. Like, she didn't even greet me, right? Like, we just went straight outside, and then she ran yeah. for the cliff. And then the first glance, the actual first, like, view of Eloise's face you get is, like, she's about to, like, you know, seemingly jump off the cliff, and she stops at the last minute, looks back, and says, I've wanted to do that my whole life, you know, or forever, for years. And then and then Marianne asks... Uh, uh, jump off a cliff? In French, I think it rhymes. So oui. she's like, "Do you want to die?" She's like, "No, I wanted to run." Yeah. So uh, like yeah, in th- French, that to like me, it, that's Mobile to me the cringy part. When, yeah. Yeah. So that to me, that's the example when when it gets cringy when when it, there are people that I met that are like this in real life, and it's like, "How are you feeling?" What is a feeling but a fleeting moment? Like to respond like this, <laughs> you know, like there's people like that in art school that yeah. dress like sure. they're in the 17th century, and they're like. Life is but a bundle of emotions. I think you're there making are people who there talk is, like you that. have some point in that it's ironic given that the film's premise. So and and the context of the film. So one of the contexts of the film in the history of art, which I thought is where you were gonna go, is that it's it it takes place on the verge of um, the realist manifesto, right? Like so we're 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 coming out of um what like neoclassism. So a lot of paintings at the time <clears throat> would have been about Greek mythology. And like things that were not relevant to the everyday person, certainly not to the peasant. And then we're transitioning in, you know, over, you know, a couple decades or a few decades into an era of um, romanticism, but then of realism. And in that era of realism, you know, the regular everyday begins to, you know, is represented, right? Because this is happening in the late 1700s, I think, right? Or mid 1700s. Mm-hmm. And that realism that you speak to is the same realism or that I'm talking about it, that Eloise re- references in the film where she's like, what? This film, like, um, you know, Marianne's like, uh, like when she sees the first version of her portrait, she paints one version that, you know, Eloise rejects. And it, she, and Marianne's like, why do you reject it? And she's like, it's missing life, to your point about all of the, like, cliches. Yeah. Yeah. However, she's like, well, what should it have? And she's saying, it, sh- it, should ha- it should have a feeling of vitality of the living, of, like, the everyday of life. And later on, this is, like, brought forward when she's sketching her sleeping or when she's, like, you know, there are these little moments where they're sketching little furtive, uh, furtive glances. Even when she's preparing her studies, where she's like just the back of the ear, all these little moments. Those later become the subjects, I think, you know, of artists, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, she was I, an I, artist, I, but one one thing that did appeal to me in this movie is uh, the, the pre-media life. Yeah. Uh, so totally the idea, cross the idea that <laughs> sorry, there's that cross stitching thing. She's like, the, there's the maid in the house, and she's like cross stitching for. Yeah. The whole movie, she cross-stitches one still life that eventually rots. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the idea that the there it was easier to focus. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. That's where I thought like this is Raph, Raphael's going to hate me for this movie. But then by the end of it, I was like, hmm, maybe he'll come at it this the other way. This is like a very meditative no. I, I, film. I, I just I just have this uh, <laughs> this um, aversion to theater acting and sort of Shakespearean dialogue. So do I. So do I, traditionally speaking. But so what surprised me were those, maybe I got really into these kind of philosophical and 
theoretical constructs of the time and of love and like the gaze. For example, it's very traditional in painting that the ma- that yeah. a man paints a woman and then the woman is like in art history has been like the object of male desire and the male gaze. And then, you know, you assume that that was only reversed in the last 20 years. Like people like Cindy Sherman come along, Laura Mulvey writes about it. But actually in that era, and I didn't know this, um, but women were like kind of becoming, there was a movement uh, under Marie Antoinette for women to be painters of the court and painters in general. So there's a large female feminist art movement at the time of women painting women. And it- and Yeah, because men are terrible at painting women. Well, they're gonna, they're gonna paint them in as you know through their lens no, if, but if you see if you see if you go to old museums of classic art you often see women painted and they look like a male body with boobs attached to it. <laughs> yeah and I think so th- there is a thing w- there's a moment in the movie where she's like she's not allowed to portray men because that's the way men hold power because if they get to portray the people of power then they stay in power yeah and she says, men, I can't portray men because I, I haven't had the practice oh, yeah. of the anatomy. <clears throat> so there's definitely something about uh, understanding your own body and being able to portray that better. I think there's also something around, you know, um, equality and the subject versus, you know, the, the, the muse versus the author. <clears throat> and, you know, at one point, I think... I think we talked about that last week also, like, it, it, because, or the week before with Paris is Burning, like, is the movie good because it was an outsider or was that a shortcoming? But I'll, honestly, with these two, um, these two, these two women, like, at one point, it, it's evident in the movie where she's, she decides, so, of course, Eloise eventually, like, decides to let Marianne paint her portrait for real. Like, you know, after the failed attempt, after the failed attempt. And, you know, and there's been previous failed attempts and, you know, Eloise, like, you know, I'm sorry, Marianne, like, like smears the face of, of the, the portraits and the mother's like, why did you do that or whatever? And she's like, well, it wasn't right. I have to do it again. So anyway, then Eloise's like, yes, we have to do it again. And the mother goes on vacation. And then, you know, this is when the love story starts, but also throughout the, the that next passage of the film you know and there's one scene where Eloise kind of starts to talk back and there's this moment where Marianne's like you know it's not fair you know you can't you can't see what I see um and she starts to pick apart um Eloise's kind of gestures like when you're worried you you bite your lip when you're thinking really hard you raise your eyebrows or whatever and she's like I know all this because I'm watching you and I'm because I'm you're the subject of my painting and then Eloise says you know, what you don't realize is I'm in the exact same position. When you when you're thinking really hard, you do this. When you're doing that, you do this. And so she, you know, it really is interesting because the idea that the person being painted looks back is the subject of art history. You know, that you, there's like, and it is it is a subject for for this love story too. It's really interesting, right? Like it's reciprocal. There's no love story where one person just like takes the other, unless you're like Donald Trump or something like that. Um, so it's there. It talking about love, and maybe that's where the Titanic thing fits in. There's a, res, a reciprocity that's really beautiful in this film, and the fact that it's two women, right? So they that they understand. It's not like they're looking at the other woman like, oh, what a curious, you know, species. It's like <laughs> there's this. I don't know. There's this like great symbiosis between the two of them. Yeah. And, uh, it, 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 there, there was this theory of. Uh, 
Zizek does these uh, movie reviews where he kind of acts like he's in the movie. They they film him in the same lighting and same costume as the movie, and he talks about the movie. And he had an analysis of uh, Titanic where he's like, the movie is not about a forbidden love or a tragedy. It's that the rich girl just wanted to have her fun with this lively boy who uh, can do things that she can't do because she's rich. But then at the moment where the, the Titanic is sinking, they could have both survived. But she's like, oh, I had my fun with the poor boy. Now I'm going to have my aristocratic life. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it, the, uh, this, uh, in, in Titanic, the, the, the love is not allowed because the boy is poor. And here the love is not allowed because the, the, the object of desire is of the same sex. That's right, yeah. Um, and there must have been ways back in the day to have a secret relationship, but uh, it, it's not really, there's no clear closure in the movie why they didn't see each other again after. Well, yeah, so, so eventually the, she does, they do separate, the portrait is accepted, um, and the, I, I don't know if we want to jump straight to the ending, but the, the, there are three endings to the film, right? So there's this ending where she leaves leaves the island and she and and she looks back just as she's leaving to see uh Marianne leaves the island and sees Eloise in a wedding dress and this this is like a you see her in this like white wedding dress and this is a memory that's kind of like um appears as a ghost throughout other scenes prior to that um and so the, there's a lot of you know the a lot of the movie again is about it's like memory. her inevitable destiny yeah and also this looking back in this first ending is a reference to this Orpheus mythology. Um, do you know the the story of that I'm referring to the Greek the Greek myth of or or like I don't know it well enough, but it's Orpheus and then it's ironic. I'm forgetting the um, the the actual the woman's name in the Orpheus. I'm play. not sure. There, this is one case where I'll, I'll look it up so, so we have the facts here. So yeah, so um, Orpheus Wikipedia. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the, yeah, right. It's Orpheus and Eurydice. And Eurydice is like um, this partner to Orpheus, or, you know, like lover who dies because of a, a snake bite and is, you know, sent to, to hell or whatever. And uh, Orpheus goes back down to save her, like is, has access to like, uh, and brokers a deal or whatever with the devil um, to bring her back to the real world and but there's one rule like he's not allowed to look back and they describe this in the film right they're all sitting around the fire talking about this story and if he looks back though he won't she won't be able to come with him and as she's as they're coming out of you know he can see that he's coming out of the tunnel or whatever coming out into the real world at the last second he does look back and she's lost uh forever to him Mm. and you know in the film they counter like, well, what if it was actually her that said, hey, look back. And then the premise of the film, you know, one of the conceptual premises is, you know, is the object of desire the object or the memory of that object, that, you know, as a subject of desire? So, like, how can I explain this? Um, the memory itself. It's if, media theory. You know, is, is as beautiful as the th- or more beautiful than the thing, because the thing is the no, avatar on Tinder is more attractive <laughs> than the actual person. Yeah, maybe. Well, you know what? It got me teared up, I'll tell you, because <laughs> and maybe that's the best way to explain it. It's like, that's one ending. And then this, the next two endings are one, um, Marianne ends up at a salon 
and salons were becoming popular at the time and and were starting to show women though in the movie actually she shows under her father's name and she actually shows a painting of of this uh, Orpheus myth and um, but she also encounters another portrait done of uh, Eloise by someone someone else and she has a child with her and she has this little book in her hand and it's uh, kind of leafed to page 28 where Marianne had sketched um, a portrait of herself uh, for Eloise to take with her as a memory of their love. And then the final scene, and this is like total spoiler alert, is at this concert at an orchestra, and it calls back a memory um, earlier in the movie of them sitting down at a harpsichord and her playing this Vivaldi song called The Storm. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, if, if like you heard it, like listener and, and Ralph, I'm sure yeah. you are too. Like, yeah. you know, it's one of those like classic kind of Vivaldi songs, like, you know, and um, anyway, so she's at the orchestra and that's the song that opens. And um, Eloise is on one balcony and Marianne's on the other balcony. And she, Eloise doesn't see Marianne, but Marianne sees her listening to this song that she had struggled to play for her back on the island on the harpsichord. And it's so hard to describe this, but like it really got me emotional because as, as Eloise is listening to this song, you see, like, I thought it was beautiful acting. And like, I just want to talk about it for a second, which is like her breathing and like her face, facial expressions. And even when she starts to cry, I start to cry because she's so in tune with the music as a, as like a component of a memory of her love affair with Marianne, that it's like, you can't help but like I don't know. My heart really swelled during that scene, um, and then and then you're like, wow, like music has this tremendous power too. Like that's why I think a lot of the movie is about art making, and where I thought um, we yeah, could discuss. My, my problem, my problem with that is that there's a, a people outside of the arts will want to add this importance to art making, mm-hmm. and and art making I think often is very playful. It's it. I don't think it's good to make art with the idea okay let's sit down and make a masterpiece i think it's actually better to be relaxed and and do things yeah um so this movie makes it feel like okay yeah, 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 yeah. throw throw your soul on the table and give whatever it takes and yeah no holes but and i feel like a lot of good work is made by accident by yeah. doing things and then you reveal your true self because you're not trying to think like oh let's let's summon the gods of all the great creators before me and create yeah. a masterpiece and you're not being yourself that's so true and that's not I, and that's not human and i mean a lot yeah. of a lot and of the so most beautiful I th- gestures i think yeah. a lot of the times the dramatizations of artists there's a 50s movie about van gogh and they have kirk douglas playing van, playing van gogh <laughs> and he's like a big shoulder guy yeah. Uh, like a, he's like it looks like a football player, and he just stands in front of the canvas, going like, "Oh, <laughs> And I just don't think Van Gogh was that guy. And yeah. so th- I often cringe with portrayals of artists, and that they have these grand emotions that are bigger than anyone else. But I actually think that in this movie, the artist isn't portrayed that way at all. But the receiver no, but the artist of, really, of the, the artist art. really reminds me of the the lead actress from. Uh, at Twilight. It's just like serious. She all the she time. does have a dark, brooding kind of appearance and manner. Yeah, um, and the artists that I know are all kind of funny people, and they they can be serious about their work, but they don't show that to other people when they're outside of the studio. And they like to laugh, and they like to yeah. make fun of things. And maybe that's my generation. But they, I, I remember seeing an interview with Willem de Kooning, who 
interestingly made very grotesque portraits of women but uh, he's like you know art is not really for people who think too much and when you think of Monet he, he just painted a stack of hay you know it doesn't take a big brain <laughs> and well, I, yeah. I think you know I think a lot of artists are, are thinkers but often don't show that to people and keep that to themselves and then it comes out in the work in some way but yeah. there's a playfulness I think it's funny because that actually appears in the film like your 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 hypothesis or your your point of view which is that at one point she's like how you know the maid asks um uh, marianne like how's it going and she's like it's not going well she hasn't even smiled yet and the maid's like well have you tried making have you tried telling a joke Maybe I tried <laughs> <making one." laughs> and yeah the maid is sort of this this simpleton with wisdom yeah and then later in the film obviously she does smile a lot once their relationship has kind of become comfortable and they're in love and then there's this one scene that's kind of beautiful and it, it's the scene i would reflect on as like you know when you have a really good friend and they're on the other side of the street and you you like you you accidentally spot each other like you didn't mean to meet or maybe you did but you see them on the other side of the street and you can't help but laugh at how ridiculous they look in the real world like knowing what you know about them seeing them just conduct ordinary business and so later there's this scene in the movie where they're sitting down to paint and she can't stop smiling and 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 Marianne's like why are you smiling? Stop smiling! You know, and it's like I can't stop yeah, but, smiling. I'm in love. But that's just yeah. That's that's uh, that's like basic human biology. Like if you fall in love, you do this childish. You you start teasing each other a bit, and uh, you you make silly jokes that are not funny to other people. And, I know, uh, but it's really obvious. Like I'm not saying it's yeah. not obvious, but I think sometimes great art is obvious too. Which is like that's a much, that's going to result in a much better portrait. <laughs> you know, like. It's yeah, not yeah, gonna be yeah. A stiff, right? The, the the movie also had this uncomfortable thing where you know when when people are in love and they're affectionate in public, it's kind of annoying. Mm. You're like, like you're at a dinner with some teenagers and they're just giggling and kissing each other at dinner. You're like, guys, come on. It, it, there's something that the movie has a bit of that. I'm just looking up um, the. Uh, I know that the uh, the movie itself was also unique in that the artist in the movie she wasn't doing the painting but they actually all of the shots where there's drawing and painting are a real artist um and i'm gonna wind it roll it back to titanic in titanic he sketches her yeah and she's she feels so great about it it's uh, james cameron who did all the sketches no his hands really yeah yeah um that's <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> it, it's like for you to say that that Titanic is uh, not as deep or as uh, uh, nuanced or whatever. There's a lot going on there too. I yeah, guess. yeah. Um, anyway, it's just worth noting that the there, there was a real artist on set, and um, there it's all real gestures, which I think I don't know. It, it to your point about is it cliche or not? Um, I thought that was nice that they actually yeah. Because when I, I, I yeah I saw the first I, painting by the way, Kristen, I was watching it with her, and I was like, that painting is not good, and she's like. Jeremy, just wait, like, wait for mm. it. And I was like, okay, well, you know, she's like, I've studied painting my whole life. Like, wait, they're going to get to that or whatever. And, yeah, and they yeah. kind of do, right? But uh, it, that is another interesting point that came up. In the, did you do live drawing in, in art school? I So here's the funny thing. Um, I managed, I did obviously do live drawing. I did it in high school and I skipped it in, uh, gra- in uh, undergrad. Um, okay. Yeah. Did you? Because there's there's this uh, um, aspect of drawing a nude model in a class that 
it's really obvious who is talented and who isn't. You can't bullshit your way out of it. So a, a lot of uh, art making since, uh, I don't know, 1850 is about doing it the wrong way. So whatever people are good at, you're like, oh, I'm going to flip it and do it really bad, and then that's original. Yeah. So, for example, you've been making all kinds of movies that are the wrong way of making movies, and that's your thing. Like, that's you're my not whole, trying yeah, to make my whole holo- career, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but when you, when you sit in a room and everybody has a piece of paper and a piece of chalk and you're just really trying to make a realistic drawing, it, you can't bullshit your way out of it. It's just like some people are good at it, some people are not. Um, so there's this aspect of art making that I think uh, is very rare now of being a, a neutral camera and capturing someone. And it made me think of like, I remember trying to draw and it, I was okay at it, not good. And then that sort of frustration and uh, that that is re- very real. Like when you really... Did you ever read that book, How to Draw with the Right Side of Your Brain or whatever? No. It's like, um, it was, I don't, I think it's out of style now, but like, you know, there's a generation of, you know, teaching about life drawing, which is like, you have to learn, um, you know, how to unlearn how to, how to see, because the way a lot of us draw is pictorially. So we like draw the outline of something, but the world has no concept of outline, right? It only has concepts of light. Yeah. Lines don't exist. Yeah. Lines don't exist. And actually. Well, one one of the things is if you ask someone to draw a face, they'll draw the eyes at maybe two thirds or three quarters of the height of the of the head, but they're actually about in the middle. Yeah. But that seems really counterintuitive. So you have to learn to draw what you see and not what you think you see. Yeah. And uh, that's so you basically have to have to turn off your brain. But I'm not so sure this movie showed that. I, but I think that's the whole premise of the movie, which is learning how to actually see someone is part of like how we fall in love with them. And we see like if you were to just make it a, a generic statement about but that, that kind of goes against what we were just saying. So if you want to be if you want to show someone, um, I don't know if if getting to know the person and being intimate with the person would make for a better portrait per se. But I think that, I mean, the, the, the film proposes that it does, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think, I, you would have to look at art history and be like, okay, all the great pieces, they were actually banging each other. I think a more interesting point, though, is like later in the film, she says like, you know, could you draw me? I can't remember what the line is, but like, could you draw me from memory? And she's like, of course I could. I could draw you, you know, I could draw you anytime. I could paint you in any moment. You wouldn't need to be here. And so eventually the memory replaces reality and i think that's you know ends up being learning to see someone is learning obviously to like yeah it's that's if, where it's a little if, bit more complex if i've learned like, if i've learned anything is that there really is no preset uh method for making art so there's not like oh get to know the person the portrait will become better like for some sure. people that works and for some people that doesn't or paint with your eyes closed it'll turn out better or whatever trick is like really whatever works yeah I mean the the painter that is in that actually did the paintings in the film is this woman Helene Delmer, and I think her uh, if I've, I I looked up a couple of her paintings, she does do paintings that um, it's interesting where the eyes of the subject are covered or smeared, um, so they like it's interesting that they brought in an artist that were because in the in the movie like they actually smear the faces of people, um, an artist who considers that. And the, the final portrait, I don't think is any, is revolutionary by any like 
art standards, but um, the first and second versions of the portrait, the second version is better. And I was wondering, like, why do I think it's better, right? The film proposes... Yeah, that is a funny thing with paintings that often if you show people five options, uh, like even in in any category, it's pretty easy to pick the winner. Like you do a show with paintings, they're like, oh, that's the one. Mm -hmm. That's, it's, it's, often it's not up for debate. Yeah, but I mean, the film proposes that it's like there's just something more vital about the second. That there's like yeah. some, you know, there's but this she, idea. She might have, in, in reality, she might have made 10. You don't know. Yeah, but I think like the this this idea of like an aura or some kind of life attached to art is something that transcends painting, that, that art theory people talk about all the time. Or to art historians, like great artworks have this like life. And there are some philosophies, I think you've talked about it on the on the podcast before, where objects are believed to have a soul you know um i know it's like super this is like the cheesiest thing for me raf like don't get me wrong i'm literally just trying to channel this but i kind of also believe in it a little bit right like that there is something charged about uh, i i I agree with you 100 percent, but i feel like you're not in control of it so it's not like okay do this and this and this Mm -hmm. and then it'll come out that way Mm mm-hmm no, of course. No, there's obviously so, there can be no instruction manual, right? No. Yeah. Anyway, I know that. And, and the, especially uh, if you start to think like, okay, I'm going to listen to Mozart and I'm going to eat French cheese and then this portrait <laughs> will come out. Well, I think that's what's making you uncomfortable. And it's what honestly would make me uncomfortable too, especially when you watch period movies, because you're like, is this just a bouillon base, like watered down, like, sorry, condensed ver- cliche of... Of what is true versus like yeah the, the, his, counter, the historical complexity of it. The the counter argument could be that if we look at history in ten thousand years and look back, they'd be like, oh, the peak of human intellectual capacity was around that time. They had so much focus and mm-hmm. they wrote these masterpieces of music and painted these amazing things and built these amazing structures. And after that, the speed picked up and buildings were built to only last twenty years and music was consumed and forgotten and etc so the counter argument might be like oh yeah that was that was the peak of human expression uh, but depending on how you measure it well, what was interesting is i i saw an interview with um the director and she was saying that um we have this idea that human progress is con- constant and yet in that era and she wasn't aware of it you know france in the 17 late 1700s was actually an era of great feminist progress, you know, like that, um, that was later erased, actually, like there was there was later, you know, um, like in the 1800s, they lost that progress. And she's like, you know, I, she, she was trying yeah, to things t- don't go linear in one good direction. Yeah, she was trying to make the point that the film is actually contemporary. It's not a period film. Um, because it's not a like, yes, the time, that's what you you know by cliche you determine you're like oh it's period because it's set in a in the past but she was like the concept or the premise is very contemporary which is like about equality and about you know uh, seeing each other as equals and that is the you know something that society is struggling with right now. Um, I, I, just a thought experiment. Yeah. Um, because I I know that uh, it's it's much easier in music production to achieve. Uh, the diversity of creators. So it, it, I think anyone can be like, yeah, I feel represented in music. In my subculture, there's music for me that I'm into. Uh, there are songs about my kind of life and etc. But movies are so expensive to make that that's harder. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So th there's a lot of movies being made now uh, that are trying to cover new grounds and subjects that weren't covered yet and uh, a cast that wasn't covered yet and producers and directors. And so we're making progress there. Um, but when you think about it, there's been so much music from so many backgrounds. And uh, But I was thinking if you'd seen this movie and the painter was... A male, just but yeah. everything else was exactly the same. Would you have thought the movie was interesting at all? It'd be less interesting for sure. I think also because even historically speaking, there were there were many many female like there were, there was a wave of of women artists at that time that I didn't even know about. Right, like that history has chosen to like tell art history through the you know the male perspective. Um, and so like getting access to, even if it's not a real story, a story that could have occurred at the time. And that one that I also, this is the, the fundamental thing that we opened the podcast on, which is like, is this a story made for me? No, but is a story that's not made for me relevant to me? Absolutely. Because this is, that's what the power of writing and filmmaking is, yeah. is, you know, it helps you kind of not not live but, in on someone else's shoes, but like, you know, kind of borrow their point of view for just to get some view other than your own for, for a I, I, I agree with it theoretically, but then the, the movie just didn't appeal to me. So I, I can watch it out of a feeling of responsibility, but it's not a movie I would naturally pick up. And But uh, one of the problematic things is that if you think of a show like Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. that's like a show for our... Uh, sub subgroup subset we're like into computers uh, we're nerdy and it, whatever mm -hmm. you, you know like it immediately you see the trailer you're like I want to watch that yeah I don't know if you agree but that, that did you watch it less and less so though like I think one of the okay. things that um, like maybe I am actually like like so privileged now that like I desire like you know there's the cliche of like um, the person that's like, look, you know, risking their life at a certain point in their life just to like feel alive again. I do yeah. feel like I've reached that point in my life where seeing the same thing again is dulling my experience more than it's yeah, like sharpening yeah, yeah, yeah. it. And yeah. so, uh, I, you know, that's why I said, let's try this on. And honestly, I'm, I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, Kristen, you know, has been taking making lots of efforts with me to like watch more period films which she loves and i'm always like ah actually like i'm really more of a futurist i like can we watch the sci-fi instead mm -hmm. right um and then you know on a few occasions i've been really surprised this is one movie where i was surprised i, I found yeah. like greta gerwig's yeah. little women uh i don't know if you saw that it was pretty surprising um emma more recently is like super contemporary and worth watching so um yeah i don't know like uh I'm I'm willing just to suspend my notions of like taste for access to new ideas or different points yeah. of view at, at at this point. Like uh, when I was younger, I would definitely have just gone really deep. And again, I don't know if what's right or wrong. But um, are there when you think of movies that portray visual artists, which ones come to mind? Hmm. <laughs> it's like there's one that comes to mind that's not very good. It's about this um, little woman in like the Maritimes of Canada that became famous, like for her, like, you know, arts and her folksy paintings. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before and, or I've seen other movies where like, I think, I think there's a Van Gogh movie. What's that one that we were going to review a while back? Um, Big eyes. Oh, I've seen that. That's terrible. I liked it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I, and, I, and then again, I guess, yeah, is this movie about our... We, we're no, but I, it's interesting to me, the idea of the, the portraiture of artists, especially artists from before, because they were not documented in video. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like when you make a portrait of uh, a musician, whoever that is, like a biopic of, of yeah. someone, you're already very aware with uh, the history of Madonna or Michael Jackson, and then you can make a dramatization. And then dramatizations of artists, they're kind of shy behind the... Regardless of that, though, just even within the context of portrait, I think it's interesting to think about um, all movies are a form of portraiture if there are, you know, uh, characters on Yeah, one of the things I always noticed with biopics of musicians is that, to me, actors often are sort of blank slates, Mm -hmm. and musicians are always a very strong character. They can't be anything else than they are, so... If you think there's a movie about Johnny Cash or about The Doors or about Kurt Cobain, and the actors always seem like a very mild version of the actual musician. Mm. Well, they're also usually over-dramatized. Like I know Siama, the director of this film, was saying she specifically did not choose a historic figure for the movie because she didn't want it to be a biopic you know, yeah. over-exaggerated. Yeah, so there's no conflict of, yeah, of reality. But yeah, and also like because those biopics like you know, they get really cheesy and they're, and they're, they're like trying to celebrate a specific person in a way that's just not realistic. Right. And if we're talking about reality, which is what I think the film, I mean, I I get your point that there are aspects of it that aren't real, but you know, you know, because it's so tight. It's tight. The dialogue in the sense of the Gilmore girls. Yeah. That's a good example. Gilmore girls is a great example (laughs) that I cite that out. (laughs) Um, but the other, the perception of reality from if there was no dialogue in this film, it might actually be a more real film than if there, than, than having any dialogue in it. But I, I did, if, which there's very little, it's very sparse. Um, I don't know. There's these moments where you're, they're just looking at each other. There's so many shots of just looking that, <laughs> uh, it's definitely a quiet contemplative, uh, film in that manner. Uh, yeah. That, that but seems the, real. I, th- I think there's a they removed some things out of normal life that for for example with Eloise she's never doubtful there's that never a moment of doubt in her she's mm-hmm. just either completely mean or completely loving nothing in between and there's no hesitance of like oh nice to meet you oh uh, uh, i don't know should i sit here or should yeah. i sit there yeah there's none of that but She's i almost just... read it that i read it as like um if you've ever have you you've have you ever done your own self portrait or done any any work where you present yourself in your work um n- not not really other than zoom calls okay well in that in that world like i guess which is my world like 24 <laughs> 7 uh you you spend there's there's an awkward moment where you where you get in touch with yourself, um, but it, it is an uns- it is unspoken, right? It's um, it's it's a moment where you contemplate um, what is natural about who you are and what feels natural, and it is like a very self reflective moment, and um, it's hard to describe, but it's one where you like immerse yourself in yourself. I, like I think in this movie, this idea of equality or symbiosis, like that the two characters, though from completely different planets, see each other in each other, um, is like, is there, there's something there, there's something romantic about that idea that mm-hmm. there's like, that, that you probably experience with Christina or in, 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 your, in your partnership with her. And that, for example, I've been um, married to Kristen for 
almost a decade. And it's not like we say more with words every day. We say less. And there's a lot, a lot more that happens, I think, um, in, in the spaces between words. Then, then, then I, <laughs> I feel like doing some bad Seinfeld jokes about the wife. Well, uh, the wife. <laughs> no, but no, like you know, no, like, but that's it's, that, being that, quiet it's funny going someone. back to Seinfeld where he goes like after there's all these cliche sort of old uh, comedian jokes where they talk about the wife and uh, you know everything she's going to say. You've been together for and the, they <laughs> they make fun of it, but it, they're saying the same thing as you are. Perhaps, yeah. I think I was yeah. just like like there's something great about. Uh, uh, understanding each other and being bored together and it's okay and but for the average you know person who goes to the national gallery and like looks at a bunch of portraits on the wall you know you you might see something very different than you know and i don't want to assume something of someone without an art education or without cultural education however like if you you well it's with anything if you if you see something for the first time like if you if you drop someone from a a pre-industrial age tribe in a city they can't recognize anything. It's just chaos. So there's something about the getting familiar. Yeah, exactly. And then spending time, this idea of spending time with one work or even one person for a lifetime or even one idea. So the conceptual artist might spend a whole life with one idea. There is, I, I think there's a romance that's embedded in this film with that idea as well. Like the memory is not just a memory. It is also a living thing that yeah, you spend time with for a the, lifetime. The, the, the strange thing about the artist myth and the reality is that a lot of artist studios were businesses very similar to, the, they were image makers at the scale of James Cameron. Like it was a big well, industry no, with lots make, of assistants and yeah, students. You're making a great so point. They're, they're like storytellers it, they're not if you think of an artist like uh, Mondrian he's like a very eccentric person who didn't fit into the world and was bad with money but that the the painters they're showing in this movie especially mm-hmm. the ones at the salon are really more like commercial a Damien Hirst Jeff Koons type of no person. you're right you know actually they I think they're pretty great about it in that Marianne is definitely a freelance painter where like at one point she's like it's so funny. It's almost like spec work, but the mother is like, "Hey, you know what? If you do well with this, I got another job for you. My uncle's <laughs> needs his portrait, but he's really ugly. So good luck with that." <laughs> but that's like very much more actually how it is to be an artist. And I mean, I experience that every yeah. day. I'm sure you do too. Where there's like a lot of this like, what? what yeah, not at all romantic wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. Like, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you, and you'll get into this and that. Um, yeah, and, and, and there's a there's a short four-part series of Martin Scorsese walking through film history and he talks a lot about this concept of uh, one for them one for me so that Hollywood directors would do one commercial film to fund another indie film that was Mm. really their vision right Um, and then often in in history it turns out maybe the one for them was more interesting than the one for me it's it's just hard to predict this intersection of interests you would think like if if the artist is pure in their desire and it's very personal that that would always be the best outcome but sometimes the external question and the necessity and the economic hardship uh trigger something in creativity that might be the result might be more personal you know it's it's very hard to predict yeah i mean that that's kind of a an interesting angle on the movie as well because obviously it exists in a period of time where there was no way you were just going to sit down and like do portraits of people for fun that was not 
you know, though they no, or even or like sit down and be like, I'm just going to do portraits of tabletops. Well, it's funny because they have the maid doing a cross stitch of the still life, you know, throughout the film, almost as like um, a reference, you know, that yes, there were people doing like, you know, work for pleasure, pure pleasure, because she is really just doing that for pure pleasure, like for passing the time in what is a very like timeless place. Um, and then, but most people really had to, you know, make a living and survive. And there were lots of, lots and lots of freelance painters at the time that were, um, that were going through art schools and then going out into the world, just like today, trying to make a living. Um, yeah. And, and even it's very similar to now how 3D people work. Like you would have people who were really good at clouds and there were people who were really good at cows and some yeah. were really good at grass. And then you just have a shop and it's almost like a contract. It's like, Okay, we have the cloud guy on Monday, so let's do that other layer first, and then, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was, like, also, given the pandemic, the the movie, like, this idea of being isolated with two other people in, in a home um, for, for many weeks, uh, and with nothing except... Um, the ability to make like there's no consumption they're not like let's get on hop on netflix that's and- my recurring theme in life is that this this uh, constant stream of uh, data into your brain is very hard to get things out of your brain yeah and in the entire film like rests on there's one book that they trade between each other right like that's where the the myth of orpheus comes from this one book that she happened to have brought with her um this one like book of i guess classics and um yeah, like the the fact of the matter is they have to make their own um, content from each other. And I, and I think we talked about it before that a lot of artists do the most innovative work early on in their career. Yeah, when they have less and material. That, yeah, and it seems that um, the pressure is lower. So that goes to my theory of... of uh, not thinking you have to create a masterpiece. I kept thinking that, also, that, it's just like, that's why re- like residencies are remote. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, how can we get these artists away from society and all of this information? Like, yeah, yeah. Isolate them. I yeah. mean, there's a bit of romance tied to that idea of isolation. Um, perhaps that COVID has tarnished <laughs> slightly. Um, but I, you know, I still, I think I, you mentioned that you're actually happier right now because Christina's actually around. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, much the, the city's much more quiet. But you're essentially describing, you know, this this ideal of spending time with a human being, uh, getting to know them, the quiet moments of like a meal together. Yeah, but but still, uh, good takeout from the great diversity of restaurants. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Not all the. If if we were both in a cabin somewhere, it'd be different. Yeah, they're not eating great, uh, great food in this movie. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, maybe the cheese was good. I don't know. Well, she, and then yeah, there's, there's, there's the bread, whole abortion storyline. That bread and cheese scene, though, I was like, hmm, that, that's like such basic, like awesome stuff. Fresh bread, yeah. good cheese, and a glass of wine. <laughs> so French. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, be French. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's. I feel like there's still so much more to talk about, but at the end of the day, but I, I, yeah. I, one thing I want to say is that what I was alluding at with Silicon Valley or other things that uh, appeal to my subculture or my interests is that even if a film is made badly, you you, for, you forgive a lot if you're interested in the topic, mm-hmm. um, and there is this idea of the sort of the universal storyline of of art history. Mm-hmm. And that there's a universal measure of of quality, but maybe the same with the stand-up comedy. Like before, uh, 
there was like five stand-up specials per year on HBO, and now there's 45 or 60, and they're all for different subsets. Yeah. And so maybe that's why you, this movie is not talking about things to me, talking about a, a, a state of mind to me directly. It's yeah. not my yeah. mode, this this very serious, pretentious, whatever. And But maybe if this was about, comp- no, I'm trying to think, like if this this movie was about hackers or... If it was about, about screensavers. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> point to make the screensaver that captures my soul. <laughs> it's not um, like where I like to go, but when I perform, like there are a few moments where, you know, I don't know if my audience has ever received them this way, but I do have a desire. Um, and it's what drives me as an artist to um, connect with something a little bit greater than I understand. And um, I've done a few performances. Like I can remember one where I performed a slide presentation at an art school and like to perform the slide presentation, I had to open my mouth and that would open the slide and to switch slides, like an old school slide projector, I'd have to open and close my mouth. Mm-hmm. But to hold the image on screen, I had to keep my mouth as w- wide open as possible, like at the dentist. <laughs> yeah. And by the end of this presentation, artist presentation, I was in tears and like a great deal of physical pain. And like mm-hmm. the feeling I had in that no one will ever see this. The, the folks that saw it probably thought it was trash. But for me, like, I felt like I had delivered a great work of art in that moment because, like, the act of presenting oneself to a group of students is like such a like emotionally fraught um, experience. That I wanted to self reflect on that. But like, was the audience laughing? They were actually sympathetic by the end. Like my my favorite moments, my transcendent moments as an artist, and that's what I guess the word the tran- to transcend, like to get out of oneself and to like really get to something universal. Uh, like for me, it's like a line between crying and laughing. That that's my like nirvana. If I can get yeah, to that yeah. that place, um, you can call that beauty, whatever you want. But even though I do silly work, like yesterday I was performing, like having like breast tassels do like. 360 pirouettes like in all of those moments i'm also trying to create something a little bit like if you scratched a little deeper you would see something that's like universally about the you know human condition yeah. but and, and i think almost every artist that you talk to is, does strive for some to transcend yeah, themselves in some manner i've, I've seen interviews with uh, agnes martin yeah she's great canadian painter. yeah yeah and she is also a person who talks very sincerely about the depths of beauty and perception and quiet and it's sort of a, in a non-humorous way, very serious. But then you see her in her studio and she's always like, when is the painting finished? It's like, as soon as it leaves the door, I want it out of here. <laughs> she's also a funny person. So th- mm-hmm. that's what bothered me about this movie. Yeah. That, uh, that there's, You know, Agnes Martin, she's really intense emotionally. She, she will cry out of nowhere and she's like a very... Uh, isolated it doesn't really function in the world and yeah but she's still funny yeah and and this sort of lack of funniness is is uh, i don't disagree i would unhuman. say i i yeah. do i do believe that you know all of the emotions wrapped together like like mondrian has postcards where he he would draw the disney characters on them and like uh, greetings from dopey and sneezy and you know like mm-hmm. you can't uh, yeah, it's just chemically not possible to be serious all the time. Yeah, you can't have a tragedy without euphoria. You yeah, can't, you can't fall without getting up. But I, I do think that it surfs a couple of those moments. But you're right; like the the round, it would be a rounder, more realistic if we're talking about realism, reflection, yeah, or, or, or maybe I would connect to it more. Yeah, 
Yeah. I don't know. So what, like, what do you, where do you want to go next? Cause what, like we've talked about this podcast as like surfing a wave. And so we keep, well, my listening. first instinct was when I saw this movie is like, okay, we should watch Conan the Barbarian <laughs> to, to do the opposite. Just Cause you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then uh, I've seen that a, a bunch of times already, already. So I, I thought Barry Lyndon by Stanley Kubrick, I've seen parts of it. I never saw the whole thing and it's supposed to be this, uh, achievement of of uh, photography and uh, to capture that time and everything was shot with candlelight and i don't know what special lenses so it's so a period film, a period film by what is considered an auteur filmmaker though i do i do believe celine siama is all like this film portrait of lady on fire is also like she's a new auteur but like kubrick being a classic auteur um yeah is uh, is worth taking a look at uh, in contrast and who knows like yeah i'm expecting 2001 space odyssey in colonial times <laughs> this, but, yeah 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 but i've i don't think the topic of the colonies comes up in the movie but. well you could probably argue 2001 a space odyssey is a, is a, a colonial kind of movie it's like mm-hmm. a that's a topic for another day we, you know i don't yeah. know if we're ever going to cover those kind of like um landmark well we films. could we could do fitzgeraldo yeah. Well, no, I like your choice. Let's go with what... what or Aguirre. That's the one about colonialism. Yeah. Let's go with... Um, Let's go with this, Barry Lyndon. This Barry Lyndon uh, movie. I have no idea what I'm getting into outside of... It's a long one. I think three hours or something. So Okay. So Kristen's going to love that. <laughs> Good luck. I don't think she would mind that movie. Now, what, I was talking to a friend and I mentioned that, you know, they, they listened to the last podcast and they enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, are you ready to, you know, for next week's film? And they're like, what is it? And I was like, well, we mentioned in the podcast. But then I realized no one gets this far in the podcast. <laughs> uh, and so we should probably mention the films at the, be- like oh, next we week's film the, at the beginning. Oh, no, we didn't forget it. We're going to we're going to read oh. the ad at the end. OK. I mean, yeah. No, after I said no one gets this far. Um, <laughs> it's just awkward to interrupt uh, the conversation yeah. for the ad. Yeah. There's never a quite the right moment. Um, okay, so, so here we go. Yeah, thank you for uh, sending in an ad. So here we go. Uh, hey, Raf, have you heard about the new project by artist Mathieu de Cursaint uh, Gerudeau? Uh, the pronunciation actually is uh, de Cursaint Chirotto. Uh, <laughs> Tell <laughs> me more. Uh, well, it's called Language Games, and it's a commission for Open School East an alternative art school in Margate in the UK. Sounds incredible. As well as new artwork and research, the project features these online seminars hosted by Matt. The next seminars are taking place on Monday, the 18th of May and Monday, the 15th of June. That's this year, 2020. You're going to want to visit openschooleast.org to find out more and to get the Zoom link and password. Great. I love seminars. Jeez, you have the shortest lines in this. <laughs> Me too. Uh, and then we're supposed to chant. Seminar. 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 I think COVID's actually made seminars and webinars like the, like the new bar night out. Like if you, what's that webinar? I'm going to be there. It's Friday night. <laughs> so please Come sign in. up. Uh, thanks for sending in the ad. We'll uh, link Matt. it in the show notes. Yeah. Oh yes. Show notes, which we have been really, uh, terrible about i i stopped authoring no notes yeah, yeah it's like yeah, no yeah. notes but i we've been we'll waiting speak. for someone to say something the other thing is if yeah. you if you're looking to share an ad we we still encourage it you can share a movie for us to review a comment we don't have our website on uh, our email an email on, our, on the good point website but if you look up either raf or i we have um a lot of contact information you can find, you us. Can find us on instagram facebook we don't care how you get in touch with us um, but use that internet and you're, you're savvy there. Yeah, thanks.
stay safe, be well, and